Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. You are listening to another episode of Sexology podcast. Today, we're going to talk about painful orgasm. And at the end, I'm going to answer one of the listeners' questions about vaginismus and painful intimacy. But before I tell you more about the episode today, I wanted to invite you to take the quiz that I developed specifically for women. The reason I developed this quiz is I, I get lots of lots of women, they're contacting me, my clients are coming into my office telling me that they feel they're not reaching their sexual potential, but they're not able to pinpoint problem areas that may be interfering with their sex life. That's why I developed this quiz to help you identify what are some of the problem areas and what are just some of the solutions that you can take action on them to improve your sex life. I don't know if many people know about this condition that called dysorgasmia. It's when people experience pain after orgasm. I was reading this research study. It was called Clinical Conundrum, a 33-year-old with pain post-orgasm and history of endometriosis. And I was so fascinated by the founding that I invited the researcher, Dr. Paul Young, to our show to talk about this concept. We're going to talk about what caused painful orgasm. We're going to talk about how is it different from dyspronia. We're going to talk about dyspronia after my interview with Paul. I'm going to talk about it myself. And we're going to talk about treatments. So as I mentioned, our guest is Dr. Paul Young. He's a gynecologist with fellowship training in minimally invasive gynecological surgery at BC Women's Center for Pelvic Pain and Endometriosis, an associate professor in the Department of OBGYN at University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. Dr. Young's clinical and research program is focused on endometriosis-associated pain, particularly sexual pain. Here's my conversation with Dr. Paul Young. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm so excited and honored to have Dr. Paul Young on our show. Dr. Young, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. You know, I'm very excited about this conversation. I read the journal article you wrote about the topic that we're going to talk about. And I'm so excited that you accepted our invitation because I, I believe that this is a topic that not many people are talking about it. So the, the article, the journal article I'm talking about was the single case study that you talked about a woman who had pain post-experiencing orgasm. Can you tell us more about that condition? Yeah, so you know, my, my background is primarily in endometriosis surgery, and this is not a common symptom that I've encountered, which is, uh, you know, I had to do actually quite a bit of reading about it myself. But uh, I see a lot of patients with dyspareunia, but this patient did not have dyspareunia, and the orgasm itself was painless and enjoyable, and the pain occurred um, after, and it was associated with a few other symptoms, like I think some nausea, some sweating as well. So it was, it was quite a 
unique situation. It definitely sounds unique because uh, for our, our listeners, if they don't know what cystronia is, a different types of pain during penetration that uh, people are experiencing sometimes is like around different parts of their body. And you're, uh, as you said, that you're right, that uh, usually people experience pain during intercourse. What's interesting about the case that you talked about in this article was this person was enjoying sex and it it happened afterward. The condition called dysorgasmia, am I saying it right? I think so. Yep. <laughs> well, tell us how common is that? Well, you know what? I tried to do a, a literature search after I couldn't find any solid numbers out there. And I was actually surprised how little was known about dysorgasmia and even less in females than in males. So I think it's hard to say. And I, I did say, I called it a unique symptom, but actually if, if we're not asking the question, if we're not asking people, are you experiencing this? You know, maybe it's actually more common than we think actually. And so I, I think the actual prevalence is not clear. And is that something that both male and female are able to experience? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm as, as an OBGYN, I, I only see females, but so I don't know too much about the male situation, but uh, apparently it occurs in both. But uh, most of the reading I did for the article was, was in females. Yeah. Well, what are some of the reasons that cause someone that was enjoying sex, experiencing enjoyable penetration to, to experience that pain afterward? Yeah, so... You know, when I did my reading, I kind of kind of took things from several areas. So one concept I think out there is that if somebody has dyspnea and also pain with orgasm, that potentially the causes of dyspnea would cause the dysorgasmia as well. So I think that's one concept. Uh, but this was a situation where the there was no dyspnea. So then I had to look at what could be the other causes. So some people say you do the usual thing, you know, rule out infection, do some sort of imaging to rule out some ana something anatomical. So some people have hypothesized that there could be some sort of nerve impingement, for example, in the lower back, and those nerves then go to the pelvis, and that could affect sexual functioning and orgasm. So those that's one concept. And then the I think the uh, other idea is that if, and the way I kind of approach this situation is that if a person has known diagnoses that could be plausibly related to pain with orgasm, then those should be looked into further. So this patient had a history of endometriosis. I think also any sort of history of pelvic floor problems, I think plausibly could be related. And then the last thing is, I didn't wasn't really aware of this concept ahead of time, but there's this idea of something called female orgasmic illness syndrome. And uh, it hasn't been, I don't think, well conceptualized. There's not a consensus. But some of the ideas out there is that it's symptoms that occur with orgasm that can be uh, in addition to pain. So it could be some central nervous system type symptoms or more of the peripheral nervous system. And so uh, this patient, I thought, maybe could fit in that spectrum because she had a few other symptoms in addition to pain. Well, for our audience that they are listeners that they don't know about endometriosis, what, what is that? What does that feel? Yeah, so endometriosis is a condition that affects about one in 10 uh, females of reproductive age. It occurs when tissue that resembles tissue that's supposed to be inside of the uterus is growing outside of the uterus. So usually in other parts of the pelvis, like uh, the ovaries, the colon, the bladder, but also in other parts of the body. And it manifests primarily as pain and difficulty conceiving. 
and the pain includes menstrual cramps, uh, painful bowel movements, painful voiding, uh, painful sexual activity, and chronic pain as well. Well, and it, as you said, that it's uh, relatively common, but yes. many people, they don't know about that. So, so it's important to kind of pay attention to symptoms and talk to your physician if, if that's what you're experiencing for our listeners. But with people with dysorgasmia, for example, with dyspronia, if there is not a penetration, you will not experience the pain, right? So, but with yes. dysorgasmia, if people experience other form of achieving, reaching orgasm, will they still feel the pain of the orgasm? Yeah, so this particular patient, as indicated on the article, had uh, clitoral orgasms and then would have pain after that and also uh, had orgasms with penetration in this particular case and also described pain afterwards. But uh, you're right, it did occur without the penetration uh, itself. Well, what are, this sounds like a very scary condition, right? That I can feel like if you're experiencing or uh, enjoyment during sex and then afterward you feel all sorts of symptoms that you mentioned, that can be very discouraging. Mm-hmm. How long usually those pain last post-orgasm for, for these clients? Well, as far as I could tell in the literature, it's quite variable. It could be minutes, could be an hour, could be even longer. So again, I don't think there's a lot of research in this area. And actually, we in our in our own research, we have a large registry of patients with endometriosis. And we've actually been asking the question about pain with orgasm since 2018. And so we do, we um, haven't published that yet, but I think we'll get more insights um, you know, with that study. I think that's definitely an area that's that's needed. And I and as you mentioned, I'm sure it's underreported because mm-hmm. many people they don't even have the language of thinking, okay, sex is painful, but when do you start experiencing pain? Is it at the beginning of the kind of like a, a sexual play or it's after penetration or after orgasm? So this particular client, was uh, she came to you because of this condition or you ask more questions and that's how things are un- un- revealed? This particular case, it was a referral specifically for pain after orgasm. So yeah. tell us if someone is struggling with this, what, and you mentioned that there is a host of different possible contributing factors. Mm-hmm. But what are some of the common treatment to, to address this? Well, you know, I, I again, when I reviewed the literature, I, I, I didn't find, you know, too much. In this particular case, we thought ultimately it was related to endometriosis and, and the uterus itself. And so the treatments we use were geared towards that. But, you know, if it was, we thought maybe related to the pelvic floor muscles, I imagine physical therapy might be involved in terms of this concept of female orgasmic illness syndrome. Uh, there's a variety of symptoms like, um, uh, you know, like central nervous system symptoms. And so various medications have been recommended. And then, uh, you know, obviously, as you know, as a more on the gynecology side, I'm approaching this, you know, kind of more of the medical surgical point of view, but I uh, you know, of course, it should probably be considered in the in context of the whole person in a holistic way and you know in terms of um, sexual functioning in, in general and relationship factors and stuff like that kind of like talking about endometriosis is that something that's treatable or is that something that people the only option is managing it well it's i think it's definitely treatable i think there's a realization that it is in many cases a chronic condition and i think there's debate whether the concept of a cure, whether that really exists or not. But there's lots of good treatments. 
from uh, surgical removal to medical hormonal treatments. And, and at our center, and I think there's more realization of this now, we also do an interdisciplinary approach. So this includes pain education, physical therapy, psychological therapy. So realizing that pain is involves more than just the tissue, it really involves the whole person. And so we try to we try to treat the whole person basically. Can this turn into a chronic pain? Because when I hear pain management, I think more about chronic pain clients. Is this is this condition that can turn to a chronic pain for people? Yeah, it definitely can turn into into chronic pain, daily pain. A lot of our patients at our center have have reached that stage. The idea, I think, right now is that that chronic pain arises because of earlier events. And the earlier events that people are interested in, in terms of time to intervene is painful periods, for example. So if someone is a teenager, has painful periods month after month after month that primes the nervous system for chronic pain. And similarly, a painful sexual activity. So if sex hurts over and over again, that may prime the nervous system to then develop this more chronic pain. As you were mentioning, that painful intercourse dyspronia is, is relatively common. I know that mm-hmm. there are studies with different culture. It's more common, but I certainly see a lot in my practice. From a physician, from a gynecologist perspective, what are some of the recommendations you have for vulva owners that they're experiencing pain during intercourse? Well, I think, first of all, I think it's important to, to, to if you're comfortable, to say something to your care provider. This is an important symptom. To me, painful sex is as important a symptom as chest pain or shortness of breath or anything like that. So it's, it's, it's a very important symptom. So first of all, I'd say say something. And then um, our approach is, is it's really based on what is the cause of the painful sex. So for uh, our focuses on endometriosis. And so I think historically, the focus has been on the actual endometriosis tissue as the cause. But I think we're realizing that it can be a cause, but the causes can be multifactorial. And someone can have endometriosis lesions, but other factors as well, bladder pain, pelvic floor tightness. And so we try to identify those multiple factors and then treat them again in a in a multidisciplinary way. So we might do surgery, but patients also undergoing physical therapy, also undergoing sexual therapy, for example. I love this multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary approach that you're recommending because I feel definitely with, with all kinds of sexual health challenges, specifically with painful intercourse, that's one of the most effective approach that you want to make sure that as a provider, you're tackling it from all from all aspects. For people that's hormonal, is it is it possible that their birth control, something like that can trigger it? Or that's something more of a, a lifelong condition that people have? So uh, hormonal, it's, I would uh, have a few comments. So I think, you know, around the time of menopause and also around the time of postpartum and breastfeeding, you know, there's a reduction in estradiol. And then that causes changes in the vulvar vaginal area that predisposes to painful sexual activity. So that's one aspect. The second aspect for endometriosis is actually quite tricky because the hormonal therapy for endometriosis reduces estrogen because endometriosis is an estrogen-dependent disease. And so on one level, hormonal therapy might help sexual pain or dyspronia because you're reducing estrogen, treating the endometriosis. However, that reduction in estrogen actually might be potentially also contributing to some sexual pain as well. So there's actually, there's kind of a balance. And actually there's some recent uh, studies, for example, with the hormonal therapy showing that pain 
uh, reduced in patients, but the sexual functioning actually overall didn't actually go back to normal. So that just shows that I think some of the complexities of the, the hormonal therapy when it comes specifically to um, sexual pain. Dr. Young, I want to make sure I'm getting it correctly. So they they know they were no longer experiencing pain, but the, the desire was less. Was that what they, they recommended? Yeah, so the pain was less, but then things like desire and arousal were affected. For example, some of these hormonal therapies in some people are associated with decreased mood, for example, uh, depression. And then so we found, I mean, depression is very important for sexual functioning. And we found in our endometriosis pelvic pain population, we published a few years ago, depression was very strong predictor of, of sexual functioning um, over and above pain. So if someone's experiencing decreased mood with the hormonal therapy, even though the pain might be better, you know, the mood also needs to be addressed um, in terms of desire, arousal, et cetera. I agree with you. You know, one of the interesting things that I see as a psychologist I've worked with people who are struggling with sexual health is at times people coming in, they think they have a sexual dysfunction. But when we're talking about things, big part of it is the experiencing with some mental health challenges. Mm -hmm. And that is what's impacting their sexual desire and drive, as you mentioned, like depression, anxiety, trauma, all of those can manifest in so many different ways. And the symptoms that we're seeing in our bodies or wanting or not wanting to have sex is part of that. I hear at times from my clients for desire issues, they, they use testosterone to manage that do you have you seen studies around that that kind of like female taking some kind of a testosterone cream or tablet that helps them with this drive yeah so that's that's not a, a part of my own my own practice just it's just that my area is more just endometriosis surgery but some people do prescribe testosterone in various ways and there are guidelines out there so for example the the international society for the study of women's health uh, has a, a recent guideline on testosterone treatment in, in women so it is definitely an area that is talked about for sure. Well, and I think one thing that's really, really important that I want our listeners to hear that even if you're going, if you want to go with any of these approaches, it's important to work and talk to your medical provider. Because yes. sometimes people take supplements and, and I'm not against holistic approaches, but you don't know the dose of it and they're not FDA approved. So you don't know the consistency of in- ingredients. So I think those things are also very important. For our listeners that they're tuning into this episode, is there anything that you want to make sure that they, they take away from our conversation about this, this topic? I think whether it's endometriosis symptoms in general or pain with sexual activity or pain with orgasm, I think it's important just to to talk about it and to bring it up with a care provider. You know, with endometriosis, we know there's 5, 10, sometimes 15-year diagnostic delays. So people experience symptoms for like a decade uh, before they get a diagnosis. So there's a lot of work internationally to shorten that that, that interval. And same thing with pain having to do with sexual activity. I'm sure you hear the same thing where you hear uh, someone or couples talk about for years, you know, experiencing these symptoms. And I think uh, as a health, the healthcare profession, we need to do better to make sure people are comfortable talking about it. Again, uh, it's as important a symptom as any other. 
and then um, and then that way, hopefully, you know, we're able to get some some treatment uh, options. You know, I really appreciate when you're mentioning this is something similar to your chest pain or any other kind of pain that you're having, because I feel sometimes people are feeling vulnerable talking about their sexual health or at times they feel dismissed when they're yes. talking about these things. But I think, as you mentioned, it's important to advocate for that because that can be rooted in so many different health-related challenges and people deserve to have fulfilling sexual experiences. Yes, absolutely. And there are known causes, say, of dyspareunia and there are treatments that have been studied. So it's not like it's a completely nebulous area. There, there are ways for it to get better. Well, Dr. Young, I loved your study. I think that you're doing very interesting research and I bet many of our listeners are big part of our listeners are fellow therapists and they wanted to learn more about the resources you have, the research that you're doing. Where can they get a hold of those information? Sure. So my email is paul.young at vch.ca. So that's vancouvercoastalhealth.ca. My research website is younglab.med.ubc.ca. And our clinical website is womenspelvicpainendo.com. And we actually just developed a, a new website that was developed with patients that has to do with pain with sexual activity in endometriosis. And that's called endopain.endometriosis.org. Awesome. So the information will be in the show notes for our listeners that they want to make sure that they're following up. And thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you so much for doing this helpful and informative research studies. Thank you for having me. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation. I know we talk a little bit about dyspronia and painful intercourse, but I wanted to take a minute and answer one of our listeners' questions. So here's the question. My partner and I have been together for six years and I have had vaginismus the whole time. Now I've developed a fear of any sort of sexual touch and my body tenses up. More of a discomfort than a fear. I want it, but my body reacts as though I'm uncomfortable. Well, this is unfortunately a common challenge that many women experience. I know I talk about my experience with painful intercourse in this podcast, and I also talked about it in my colleagues' podcast at length. It's really tough because even if you have high sexual uh, sex drive, when your body says no, it's it can be very confusing and frustrating. First, I wanted to kind of normalize this is again, it's common and there's so so many interesting studies talking about more than half of the population at some point in their life, women experience painful intercourse. But as far as what you can do is it's about reconnecting with sense of touch and bringing back sensuality in your relationship. One thing that I want you to keep in mind that it's important to be patient with yourself and with your partner. I tell people to make sure that you're taking off intercourse off the menu. We're, we're kind of thinking, I'm not going to do this. We're not going to engage in intercourse, at least I would say until two or three months as we're doing this, this different alternatives. And I want you to start with doing non-sexual touching. So you're setting aside some time with your partner. You're exploring and doing different types of 
caressing, kissing, touching of the areas that the partner can see without with the clothing on. So depending on what you're wearing, it could be touching, caressing of the face, hand, feet, whatever that's available. And we set up time to do this, maybe 10 minutes every other day, and you take turn with your partner to do it. When and only when you're comfortable with that, then we're taking it to the next step. Maybe after two weeks, we're going to explore touching the areas that your partner can see with lingerie or underwear on. And when we're getting comfortable with that, then we're introducing outer course, like outer touch. And it's important at the point that when you feel uncomfortable, so you can hold your partner's hand and redirect them. Because what often happens is when we're experiencing painful intercourse, we muscle through it. And that lead to our body kind of like tense up more and condition being kind of in a sexual context to being kind of like in danger in a way. So it's really important to take some time with your partner to build up this type, different types of touching and start with non-sexual touch. What you can do outside the bedroom, my invitation for you is start exploring your body on with yourself and on your own. And what would that look like is when you're getting out of shower, you're putting lotion all over your body. And if you are after only and only after exploring all parts of your body, if you're comfortable, you can apply some lubricant, some lotion that's safe and touch other part of your genital. And notice what shows up. We're paying attention to temperature, pressure, and kind of like the type of touch you're feeling. So temperature and pressure, that's all we're paying and sensation, that, that's all we're paying attention to. And also it's important to go work with a licensed person, like usually with treatments of painful intercourse vaginismus, it's really important to work with a team. I often refer my clients to pelvic floor specialists and they can help you with doing and teaching you a number of different exercises that can help your body to relax because sometimes it could be a form of muscle spasm that your body tends up. So it's not, sometimes people think it's all, all in their head, but it could be a number of different reasons that your body responding the, the way it responds and part of it could be physiological. But my invitation for you is start with kind of like non-genital touch with yourself and on, you, on your own and then doing the exercise I shared with you outside the bedroom with your partner and for a while take the intercourse out of the out of the option out of the menu it doesn't mean that it's going to be that way for rest of your life but it's important for for you right now to unlearn the connection between pain and sex i hope this this was a useful episode for you all and if you enjoy listening to this show please take a moment and write us an honest review in apple Podcasts and wherever you're listening to this show it helps us to get more visibility and i appreciate it a lot thank you and i'll talk to you next week thanks for listening to sexology podcast for more great content visit www sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.